0: or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. What's up everybody, my name's Cody Johnson. I am the Emmanuel Church Greenwood Campus Pastor. I got a question for you. Are you guys ready to have a great time? Are you having a good time so far? Are we doing okay? There we go. If nothing else, it's a long weekend. You got that to celebrate. So I hope you guys have a lot of fun today. I hope you have a lot of fun tomorrow. But today we're kicking off a brand new series. I wanna start out by saying, if you've been with us for a while, you've been with us for a few times, Man, Welcome back to Emmanuel. I I really do hope you're having a fantastic time. If you're new with us today and it's your first time, you accepted somebody's invitation, that's great too. We're just glad that you're here and we hope that you're having an amazing time. Hopefully you can text NEW to 65248 and we can serve you and we can connect with you. If you're watching online or if you're at Franklin Garfield Park or our Banta campus, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. I get the privilege and I get the honor to kick off a brand new series today. As you could probably guess, it is called The Unknowns. It's going to be a four-week series. And over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to be trying to deconstruct a lie. Here's the lie that we're going to be trying to tear down. You have to be famous to make a difference. Some of you might believe this. Some of you might have felt this idea as you watch movies or TV or consume media or all this stuff. Maybe to say it a different way. You think that I have to be rich to get things done. I have to be known. I have to be notorious. I have to have millions of followers on Instagram to have any type of influence. I gotta be a famous actor or an actress or a famous athlete or a famous politician in order to get things done. But what we're gonna show you hopefully at the end of these four weeks is that is not true because here's what is true. You don't have to be famous to make a difference. And we've seen examples of this throughout human history all over the place. And it's my goal today to stump you just a little bit with a couple examples. So my first question is, how many of you by a show of hands have heard of a woman named Susan Kerr? Nobody. This is fantastic. This is amazing. Like this is the best, the best possible start I could have had to this talk. This is good. This is good. Okay. So how many of you, by show of hands, at all of our other campuses, you can participate online. You can do this as well. How many of you, by show of hands, have an iPhone or a MacBook computer? Raise your hand. Which isn't surprising. It's most people. It's like three quarters of a billion people all across the world own an iPhone. So Susan Kerr is the woman who's responsible for the graphic design and the interface of MacBooks and the Apple products. So when you touch your phone and you pick it up and it's easy and convenient, it looks nice, she is the reason for that. Everybody knows Steve Jobs. There have been books written about him. There have been movies made about him. Everybody knows the Apple logo, but until right now, you didn't know who Susan Kerr was and you interact with her work every single day. Check mark, we're one for one, that's not a bad start. What about Rick Rescorla? How many of you have heard of Rick Rescorla? scanning scanning nobody two for two that's not bad I'll take that two for two Rick Scorla is a Vietnam veteran he was a Vietnam veteran and he came home he came back to the United States and he decided that he wanted to serve other people through security so he got a security job at Merrill Lynch at the World Trade Center in the North Tower so back in September of 2001 right around September 11th he anticipated an attack was coming He anticipated something bad was going to happen. And so through communication, initiative, acting very quickly, Rick Rescorla was able to move close to 2,700 Merrill Lynch employees from the North Tower to the South Tower. He saved every single one of their lives saved for 13 Merrill Lynch employees and he would lose his life that day. Rick Rescorla saved the lives of almost 3,000 people and you didn't know his name until just now. You don't have to be famous to make a difference. How crazy is that? Now, the last person I'm gonna ask you a question, we're gonna show the picture in just a second, but I wanna ask you the question first. How many of you have heard the name Russell Case? Raise your hand, Russell Case? I'm not seeing anybody, I'm not seeing anybody. This is good. We actually have a photo of Russell, check it out. This is Russell Case. You might recognize Russell Case. He saved us from an alien attack 25 years ago, back in 1996. Kind of a big deal. A lot of people think it was Will Smith. A lot of people think it was Jeff Goldblum. It was a crop duster, a former pilot who saved us, flew that plane up into the mothership, right into the weapon, destroyed the mothership, and saved the world from complete and total annihilation. None of you remembered him. None of you even knew his name. But if you're like me, who was a chubby 10-year-old kid, summer of 96 when Independence Day ran out, came out, I'll never forget Russell Case, And yes, this is from a movie and it's fictitious, of course, but it still proves the point. He wasn't famous, he was just some guy who was willing to step in and he made a difference. And that's what we're gonna talk about over the course of the next four weeks. We're gonna talk about these individuals from the Bible who aren't famous, they're not Jesus or Moses or Jonah or Noah or Mary. They're not all these different people, man, they made a difference. We're gonna talk about a couple of midwives whose names I can almost guarantee you can't pronounce. And their obedience to God, we're going to talk about that in week two. In week number three, we're going to talk about a man who was not very well-known but displayed great courage. And then week number four, we're going to talk about a man who realized that even though he wasn't well-known, he still had influence over his little pocket of people. But today, today we're going to talk about a man who is not very well-known at all. In fact, he is so unknown that the Bible I'm holding in my hand is about 1,138 pages long, not counting the very helpful maps in the back of the book. Now, if you try to look up this person, he appears in four pages, four pages of this Bible. If you take four and you divide it by 1,138, and then you multiply that number by 100, that's going to give you the percentage of how often that guy appears in this book. I'll go ahead and do the math for you. 0.35%, less than half of a percent in this book. You know how hard it was to write this talk, to do research? Nightmare, not a lot of fun. Very difficult especially when you're trying to put together a talk. This guy doesn't even have his own book. I looked on Amazon and Barnes and Noble Target, couldn't find it. You gotta go through Moses to get to this guy. So I read a book called Moses by Charles Swindoll. So I read this book and he's in there, it talks about him a little bit. Very, very unknown, but this man helped a very well-known person. The man we're talking about today is a guy named Jethro. And Jethro was able to step into the life of Moses, who everybody knows Moses, when Moses needed it the most. As we'll see in a second, he needed it very, very badly. But this idea of being able to step into somebody's life and give them wisdom, that's something that we don't like to do. Here's what's true about that. When we have the opportunity to share wisdom with someone, to step into their life, we don't do that. Instead, we back away. We back away really far, really fast. And there's a reason that we do that. If you look and do a quick Google search of all the things that scare people all across the world, the things that cause people the most fear, what I'm doing right now or what you do in one-on-one situations or small group situations is number one, speaking in public. Some of you would rather die than do what I'm doing right now. It scares you that much. And it's not just speaking in large public gatherings like this. It's one-on-one conversations, small group endeavors, speaking in a way to another person that could result in judgment or condemnation. For a long time, we called these social phobias. Now they call them social anxiety disorders. There's different names for them, but the fear is the same. And Dr. Daniel Block wrote a paper on this. I want to read what he said about these feelings. He said, people with these feelings experience significant and chronic fear of social or performance-related situations in which there is a possibility of becoming embarrassed, rejected, or scrutinized, which can all happen if you step into somebody's life and try to drop a little bit of wisdom on them, right? Like, they could look at you and like, man, that's stupid. Why would you tell me? Like, they, you could be rejected completely. It goes on and it says, although these people know their fear is unreasonable, they can't seem to do anything to stop it. So they either avoid these situations altogether, they back, 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 they back away, or they get through them while feeling intense anxiety and distress. And this way, these feelings extend beyond everyday shyness and can be extremely impairing. Impairing. It moves people to complete inaction. They can't do anything. But there's a massive problem with this, a huge problem. And the problem is this. When we, if, if we don't step into an opportunity to share wisdom and we let that emotion of fear, that anxiety pull us back and we can't step into somebody's life, if we don't step into that opportunity, we may miss an opportunity to save a life. And I want to kind of set the scene for you a little bit because if anybody needed saving, if anyone's lives needed saving, it were the lives of Moses and the people that he freed from Egypt. We're gonna be hanging out in Exodus 18 for a long time today. That's kind of where most of the talk is coming from. But man, up to this point, Moses has worked with God, he has freed the slaves from Egypt, and now they are in the wilderness. The Red Sea is parted, Pharaoh has been thwarted, everything's been overthrown, and things seemingly are better. Except that's not quite true. Because these people have been in bondage and slavery for hundreds of years. They don't know how to govern themselves. They have no government, no form of organization, no appointed leader. It's utter and complete chaos. And there are thousands upon thousands of people that Moses has been charged to lead. And Moses, he doesn't know what he's doing. God's appointed them as his vessel, his leader, but he doesn't really know how to lead thousands and thousands of people. He's trying to do his best shot. But now the people are starting to revolt, not only against Moses, but they're starting to revolt against God. They are dying of thirst in Exodus 17. And they come to Moses and like, why did you bring us here? You could have left us. Now we're gonna die of thirst in the wilderness. And so Moses goes to God and he's like, what am I supposed to do? These people are getting ready to stone me. They're going to kill me. He could potentially lose his life. But Jethro, as we're gonna see in a minute, is going to step in and he's going to help and he's gonna drop some wisdom at a massive time. But here's the thing. This is a nice story. And this is really great. But if we leave here, and we can't apply the teachings from this God-breathed, God-inspired text, and we can't step into someone's life and we allow fear and anxiety to back us off and we can step in and serve somebody else, none of this is gonna matter. We have to be able to step in and apply what we're going to hear and what we're going to be shown throughout Exodus. So there might be someone in your life right now that as you're thinking like, man, I know that there's somebody that needs my help. Maybe Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Maybe it's your mom and dad. Maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's a buddy of yours that you've seen, like they're just kind of going down the wrong path. They're making some sketchy decisions. Somebody at work, somebody that you know who's in a relationship and it's a, they're married, but they're kind of flirting with other people on the side and it's going to get bad real fast if you don't rein it in a little bit and you know that you could step in and make a difference, but you're a little bit fearful and we're holding back a little bit. Hopefully you can be emboldened not only by God, but the wisdom of Jethro today and we can move forward. But we've got to ask the question before we dive in. So what's the question? How can we share wisdom using Jethro's patented five-step approach? <laughs> Step number one, build a relationship with the intent to serve. We've got to build a relationship with the intent to serve. I want to show you a picture in just a moment. As I mentioned, it was hard to research Jethro because he's in half of a percent of the Bible. But we did find a picture of him. It was the artist's rendering. It was the best we could possibly do. Here it is. We want to show it to you now. We believe it to be to scale. They made him look so big. Like, why are his forearms that big? It looks like he could deadlift 900 pounds. Like, like, why did they make Jethro so? He's like as big as the mountain. But this is from the movie Prince of Egypt. How many of you have seen the movie Prince of Egypt? The voice actors and actresses, I don't know how they funded it. Like Val Kilmer, Sandra Bullock, Michelle Pfeiffer, Danny Glover played Jethro from Lethal Weapon. Like it, was, like it had to cost millions of dollars to make this movie, but this is Jethro, so maybe you can keep this image in your head as we're talking through the talk. But where the relationship starts with Jethro and his massive traps in his forearms with him and Moses is back in Exodus 2 because Moses flees Egypt. He ends up at this well in the middle of Midian where Jethro's from, and he saves Jethro's daughters from these two guys that are kind of hassling him a little bit at the well. And so Jethro's daughters run back to Jethro and they're like, hey, we met this guy. He saved us from these guys that were badgering us. And so Jethro asks his daughters a question. He says this, well, where is he? Why did you leave him? Invite him here. Let's get something to eat. I want him to be my honored guest. This is where the relationship starts. Moses did something really cool for his family. And so all Jethro wants to does, he just wants to have a little bit to eat with him come hang out with me. I want to get to know you a little bit more. And then if you've seen the Prince of Egypt or if you've read Exodus, you know kind of how the story goes. He is taken with Moses. He really likes Moses a lot. So he offers his daughter's hand. Zipporah, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, he offers his daughter's hand in marriage. They get married and they have a couple kids and things are good. And then Jethro and Moses work together for the next 40 years. That's a long time to work with somebody, especially if it's your father-in-law. I'm lucky I got a really cool father-in-law, but man, like working with somebody for 40 years. I'm 33 right now. If I did that for the next 40 years, I'd be 73 working with the same person. You're going to learn a lot about them in that time, right? And you're going to learn a lot, especially if you're Jethro and Moses, because they were tending sheep together. Jethro was also a was a priest and also a shepherd. Sheep are unruly creatures. They really are. I don't know anything about raising sheep. My wife and I watched a show on Amazon where this guy is a farmer, and one of the episodes was about raising sheep. Sheep are a pain. They knock down fences, they jump over fences, they make sweet sheepy love all over the place with other sheep and they have little lambs. You got to watch the lambs, you got to watch over these adulterous sheep that you're looking over and it's just nuts. But there's also a lot of downtime where you talk to each other and you get to know each other and all these different things. And so Jethro and Moses got to chat a lot. So Jethro's learning Moses' weaknesses, his strengths, what his passions are, how he works with people, all these different things. You get to know somebody a lot through working with them. And they did. And then it brings us to the present time. Moses leaves and he frees the people from Egypt and now they're in the wilderness. And Jethro hears about this. And to continue to build the relationship and serve Moses, he wants to follow up. And so he thinks, okay, Moses has just had to do maybe one of the hardest things in recorded human history. How can I serve him? How can I serve him? I can bring his family. He had to send his family away while he was freeing the slaves. Maybe I can follow up and maybe I can bring the family. So this is what he tells Moses. He sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, I am coming to you with your wife and her two sons for no other purpose just to serve. Maybe this is going to be a cup filler. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to bring the family to you. That'll be a blessing to you. There's no ulterior motive. He's not doing this to set up the wisdom he's going to drop on. him. He just genuinely wants to check in and see how he's doing. I feel like as human beings in our own personal lives with our friends and family and coworkers, we could probably do a better job of this. A lot of us just want to build a relationship with the intent to get something out of it in return. We don't have to do that. You can build a relationship with the intent to serve just like Jethro did. And now once Jethro brings the wife and kids, he brings Zipporah and the two children, now he's on the scene. And now when he's here, he can progress to step number two of his patented five-step wisdom-giving system, which is to observe. He observes. This This is a key point. And check out what it says in Exodus 18. It says, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people and stop, he saw. This is a step that we skip a lot in the wisdom-giving process. Because sometimes people will just walk in and they just jump right in. It's time to give wisdom. I know the solution. I know it. And they don't take the time to stop and look and pay attention understand the processes and procedures and the decisions that have been made up to this point. They just go. Listen to how Charles Swindoll says it in his book about Moses. He said, Jethro watches as his son-in-law takes his seat as judge. Moses was the appointed judge to settle all the disputes between the people in the wilderness. Jethro sees long lines of people stretching out beyond the tent, waiting to get inside to hear Moses' counsel. Now look at this. He's paying attention to the lines in the tent. He's paying attention to the process. He's looking and he's seeing all these people standing around, He's trying to get a sense of what is causing Moses stress and trying to get the lay of the land because here's what's true. When you take a step back and you detach from the situation and you don't rush in and you don't let emotion dictate how you respond to it, you can just observe and you can learn. And now you know what you know, and now you also know what everybody else knows as well. It's information gathering, and Jethro does that so well. I think we could do that too, whether it's at work, in relationships, with siblings, with our brothers and sisters. People that we know in relationships, instead of just hopping in and telling them exactly what they need to do, take a step back. Just observe a little bit. Watch and learn. And then when you can do that, now it's time to have the conversation, which Jethro does masterfully, by proceeding to step number three, which is ask questions and listen. Kind to of ask questions and listen. Also tough for individuals to do. This can be difficult because we don't know what the right questions are. We feel like we're gonna ask the wrong question. It's gonna be embarrassing. And then if we ask the wrong thing, then we're gonna be condemned and it's gonna go bad, just like that study was talking about. But listen to the questions that Jethro asked. You can learn a lot from Jethro on this. Check this out in Exodus 18. So he saw all that Moses was doing for the people. And then Jethro asked, what are you really accomplishing here? What are we really doing? what's the point? Then it goes on. He says, why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning until evening? Did you catch how he asked the questions, what the the first two words were, what and why? We call these open-ended questions. As a former school counselor, when I went through the school counseling program at Butler University, hashtag go dogs, (laughs) we spent a lot of time, asking open-ended questions and practicing this the value in starting a question with what why or how is that it gets people to open up they don't just respond with yes or no they have to think about it they have to elaborate they have to work through it themselves and they have to explain it so Jethro is putting on a master class of how to open Moses up and Moses does open up and this is what he says about the what and the why the reason behind why he's doing this so Moses replied because the people come to me to get a ruling from God that's my job When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees, and I give them his instructions. That's my job. That's what God told me to do, so I'm doing it. I'm trying to do the best I can. Now, the great thing about this is, is that not only does Jethro take the time to ask these questions, he listens to Moses He doesn't butt in. He doesn't interrupt. He's not thinking ahead of his answer already and just ready to say, okay, well, you tell me whatever. It doesn't really matter because I've got an answer locked and loaded. I'm ready to go. He doesn't do that. He's patient. He listens with what the authors of the book, Difficult Conversation, would call authenticity. Let's check out what that means a little bit. It says, listening is only powerful and effective if it is authentic. But what does that really mean? We use the word authentic. We throw that word around a lot. Authenticity means that you are listening because you are curious and because you care, not just because you are supposed to. Let's stop here for a second. You're listening because you're curious and because you care. That kind of sounds like building a relationship with the intent to serve, doesn't it? There's nothing in it for him by listening authentically. He just wants to care. He wants to help out Moses. So he's going to listen after observing and try to get all the information try to know what Moses is feeling, what God's told him. He wants to get the true lay of the land before he steps in and says a word. Man, this is something we could all get better at. Myself included. We could all do a little bit better at this. Listening with empathy, putting ourselves in the other person's shoes instead of just rushing in to tell them exactly what they need to do. So now he's built a relationship, trying to serve him. He's observed. He's asked questions, great questions, and he's listened. What's step number four? Step number four, this one's tough. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Now, to some of you, this might sound corny. might sound a little soft. You're like, speak the truth in love? Man, I just want to be real with people. I need to be so real. I need to be the realist, the capital T at the end. People need to hear my honesty. They just need to be told what to do. I don't need to be soft when I tell these people. I need to let them have it. I need to be real. You've probably heard that before. I've heard that a lot. But there's a problem. You can be real with people, but then people will shut you down. Because here's the thing. Realness is often rudeness disguised as honesty. That's tough. you probably felt that before. Someone has been real with you. We're not called to be real like it never says hey in the bible like hey be real it says to speak the truth in love it's in Ephesians 4:15 Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus he says we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body in the church pause speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ like that's the point right He's not speaking the truth in love. He's not being kind and honest for no reason. Jethro wants Moses to grow more and more like Christ because if you can grow more and more like Christ, you're gonna be a pretty effective leader, right? Your heart will be broken for people. Your heart will seek to serve people if we become more and more like Christ. You will get better. That's the point. And here's the thing about speaking the truth in love. The truth without love, that's kind of hard. It can be kind of harsh sometimes. It can be kind of cold. And love without truth, well, that's a little soft it be a little too easy. You've got to balance both of them. That's what he's talking about. And Jethro balances it very nicely in Exodus 18. Jethro says this, Mo, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good, Mo. You're going to wear yourself out and the people to hang here. Wear yourself out. Like somebody, sometimes you come home from work, you're like, man, I'm wore out. I'm tired. That's not what he's talking about. Because when you wear yourself out in the wilderness after you freed thousands upon thousands of people, there's nobody coming to save you. There's nobody coming to help. So if you wear out in the wilderness, you die. And the people die as well. So this is why he's stepping in, because he cares about Moses. And it continues. It says, this job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice. Look at the first sentence. That sounds like care. That sounds like we're really being honest because we care about you and your well-being. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle by yourself. Moses, I want you to be in this ministry for the long game. I want you to serve people for the long game. Think about your own life. Talking to a husband or a wife that's thinking about stepping out. I want you to be in this marriage for the long game. I want you to appreciate your partner and date your spouse for the long term. Think about a student that's getting ready to give up either on high school or college. I want you to stick this out. I want you to graduate. Think of the long term. You're gonna wear yourself out if you hang on to all of this too tightly. He's trying to serve him. He's trying to love him. He's stepping in. He's speaking the truth in love because he cares about him. He's listened authentically and he's loving authentically as well. Now we've gone through these four steps. Time to kind of drop this wisdom arm, right? We've got to let him know what he needs to do. And Jethro does this as well. In step number five of the patented wisdom giving system, which you can buy for $9.99, he delivers (laughs) the wisdom. But what does Jethro say? What is his advice? What does he tell him to do? It's in Exodus 18, 19 through 23. It says, you should continue to be the people's representative before God, Moses, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees, give them his instructions, show them how to conduct their lives. To say it another way, do your job. Do what God told you to do. Teach, speak, lead, do all these things. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. To say it another way, delegate. Get some help. Get all these yahoos standing around, give them something to do. They can lead because when they start leaving, you give them things and you give them clarity and you trust them with things, then they're going to grow as leaders. And as they grow as leaders, the ministry is going to grow and what God's doing on earth is going to grow. And then you're not going to get so worn out doing it. Jethro is laying it down. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. Let them handle the little stuff. They can bring you the big stuff. You don't need to decide everything. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you'll be able to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in peace. It was at that point when Jethro dropped the mic. Solid advice. And also Jethro just wrote every business organization book for the next 3000 years. Like unbelievable. So what happens? Moses responds and he listens. And he does the things that Jethro tells him to do. He gets help. The ministry grows. People don't stone him to death because they're dying of thirst. And things get better. But what I love the most and what we've constantly got to do, and this might take a little bit of pressure off you as well, is that Moses, or excuse me, Jethro pointed Moses to God. If God commands you to do so. And then he said this a little bit earlier in Exodus 18. And may God be with you. May God be with you. I'm going to tell you what I think is best, but may God be with you. Charles Swindoll said it this way. He said, son, I'm going to tell you what I think might work better for you in this situation, but may God give you the wisdom to do what's right. Trust God above all else. We put so much pressure and anxiety when it comes to talking to people, thinking that we have to have all the answers. You're not God. God doesn't want you to be God. He's God. He's already got a God. It's him. You can just be you and do the best you can and point people to God in the process. Then you can take the pressure off and you can do the best you can to give people wisdom based on your experiences, what you've learned, what you've observed, what you've listened to, what you've heard, and you can step into their life with boldness and confidence because you know that you're pointing people to God the whole time and God is with you in the process. When you're on the receiving end of this, somebody who really builds a relationship and they observe and they ask questions and they listen, they speak the truth in love, and then they actually deliver the wisdom and point you to God, it changes, it absolutely changes your life. And I know this because I have experienced this type of situation. You've probably noticed I'm setting up some folding chairs. This will make sense in a moment. So what I'm going to do right now is something that you're really not supposed to do as a pastor, preacher, speaker, anybody that's speaking in a public forum, I'm going to kind of break the fourth wall a little bit. So you're always supposed to have as a speaker some story that will tie your guests or the listeners to you so that they know that you're not full of it, so that they know that you really mean what you say or you've experienced it to some extent. And, and I have experienced this wisdom reception. So I was about 18 years old, it's 2006, and I was at a wrestling tournament in Evansville, Indiana, which if you've been here for longer than five minutes should come as a shock to none of you. So I was at a wrestling tournament, semi-state, next weekend's a state tournament, semi-final round, I lost, and what you need to know about me is that I hate to lose more than I love to win. I'm competitive that way. I hate to lose. And so when I left the mat, I go to the back of this arena, and I find a folding chair, and I just sit in it by myself. I didn't want anybody to bother me. I didn't want anybody to talk to me. I had all these negative thoughts going through my head. Some colleges had recently reached out to me, said, hey, we want you to come wrestle for us. Think you'd be a good fit for the program. And now I lose a match, and I'm like, well, these colleges are gonna pull the offer. Didn't really know how that worked. I just wanted to be by myself. And then, as I'm sitting there, somebody came and sat down in a chair right next to me. And it was the coach of the guy that just beat me. And I can tell you, there's no one on God's green earth that I wanted to talk to less. I'm sitting there thinking, could you just get up and go anywhere? Go get a sandwich. They had plenty at the concession stand. Go do something. (laughs) But he just sat there, and he didn't say a word. He was just present with me. And what you need to know about this coach is that I knew him. I'd known him for about 10 years. He was a coach at some school in southern Indiana. He knew my uncle. We would go wrestle at his youth tournament every year, and we'd talk and check in. How's your team doing? How's your season doing? But we, we weren't like tight. So he's sitting there, and he just starts to He starts to tell me about his life, starts to tell me about what it was like for him after he graduated high school and all the things that he was chasing. He was chasing money and sex and status and power and wealth because he thought that would be fulfilling. He thought that would be the thing that would make him happy. And I'm sitting there following him, listening to him. Like, I'm frustrated. I got to wrestle for third place in like 35 minutes. I'm like, dude, where are you going? And he kept going. And he said he thought everything was going good. And he went home one day. Opened the door, he was married, and he heard some, some strange sounds coming from the bedroom. He found his wife in bed with another man. Now, 18-year-old me who doesn't have a relationship with this guy is just shocked. Like, Why would you be sharing this with me? And he kept going. And he said he had every intention when he left his house that day to end his life. He was going to die by suicide. He was just going to call it right then and there. No one had ever told me that up until that point in my life, no one ever told me that they'd had thoughts of suicide. That's humbling and it's terrifying. But he told me something else. He said that for whatever reason, he felt compelled as he was getting ready to go through with it to pray, to cry out to God. So he did. He started to pray, he started to pray, he started to talk to God and he said, ultimately he decided not to go through with it. And he said it was at that moment after he had a conversation with God that he decided I'm going to leave my current way of life. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to teach. I'm going to coach. I'm going to serve the youth. That's what I'm going to do. And then he looked at me. And he said, everything happens for a reason. And he said, I know you. I know how bad you want this. I know how hard you work. I know your character. I know you keep your nose clean. And you probably have no idea why this is happening but maybe this is all happening because at some point you're gonna need to know God on a personal level. And he straightened himself up, kind of looked ahead again, and he said, everything happens for a reason. Tapped me on my leg twice, he got up and he left. Over the course of 10 years, he built a relationship with me with the intent to serve. He expected nothing from me in return. Just got to know me, talk to me, listen to me, watch me grow up with my brothers and my dad, my uncle. He observed my life, my character, what was important to me. He would ask me questions at these tournaments and he would genuinely listen for no other reason just to get to know me and to see how he could help and serve. He spoke the truth in love to my life, gave me a balance of honesty and love and then he delivered the wisdom in a way that if you try to do that to an 18-year-old student, man, that would take a lot of courage to do that and he had it. This is some guy from some high school in some southern Indiana town. He retired from teaching this year. When he dies, you will not remember him. There will be no statue for him. There will be no plaque in the walls. He's about as unknown as you can get. But because he stepped in and delivered the wisdom, I would be changed forever. He changed my eternity I wouldn't trust in Christ for five years and it would be right up there about where you're sitting in that balcony. That's where I did it. But when I did the words that he spoke to me reverberated in my head louder than anything I'd ever heard in my life. All because he had had the courage to step up and deliver the wisdom as some guy who was relatively unknown. He was my Jethro. I had no idea. Let me ask you something. It's on the slide. It's in your handouts. Who will you be Jethro to in your life? Notice that it starts with who. This is a closed-end question because it requires a very specific response. This question doesn't need an answer. It needs a name. There's space at the bottom of the handout, and that's on purpose because you need to decide who you're going to be Jethro to. We've talked this whole time about this five-step process and what you can do. But if we can't apply it, and if we can't do what Pastor Clarence was talking about earlier, and if we can't walk out of here different and ignore the feelings of anxiety and overcoming the shame and the condemnation, then it's not gonna matter. There are people that need wisdom. There are people that need you to so overcome your fear and to step up and to love them. Genuinely listen to them with authenticity so that you can deliver the wisdom of God and point them to God. God. It's possible you can do this. You must do this. When you go home today, write the name of the person on a post-it note and put it in your car. Take a dry erase marker, write it on your mirror in your bathroom so that you don't forget it. And maybe you're not ready yet. Maybe you don't have a relationship quite yet with the person that needs this wisdom, but man, you can see, you can see the signs and you know where it's going and it's not going anywhere positive. When the time comes and the time will come, be ready and be ready to be Jethro to that person. The time is coming. And maybe for you today, you're here. Maybe you're new, maybe you've been coming for a little bit, but maybe someone was Jethro to you. They've had a relationship with you. They've observed how your life is going. They've asked questions. They got a little bit of understanding of who you are and what you're about. And maybe their Jethro advice to you is you need to know who Jesus Christ is because maybe like Moses, you're hanging on to everything. You're hanging on to your sin, you're hanging on to your past, you're hanging on to your mistakes, the dumb things that you've said, you're hanging on to the job loss or the drugs you've done or the time you got arrested. Maybe you're just hanging on to this feeling that you don't measure up and you're not good enough. But like Moses, the Jethro advice you need today is you need to let that go. Because somebody took the penalty for all your iniquities and all your sins a long time ago. His name is Jesus Christ. And man, he really walked this earth. He had the power afforded to him by God. He walked this earth as a man. He lived a perfect, sinless existence. Man, he could have been anything that he wanted to be. Absolutely anything. What he chose to do was to stretch his arms out on a cross and have nails slammed through the palms of his hands, blood dripping down the wood into the ground so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from God. And he rose again, three days later, conquering the penalty of sin and death. If you place your faith and trust in this today, you will not spend eternity apart from God. You can live in the kingdom of God right now. You can place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. I'm gonna say these words, but I want you to speak them right to Jesus. It's not the words you say, it's the heart behind it. You need to go to Jesus right now. Somebody has shared this wisdom with you before today. Now is the time to act. If you're ready, if you've counted the cost, let's bow our heads. Everybody, all of our campuses online, Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, Greenwood, bow our heads, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, Jesus, Somebody dropped some wisdom on me today. Somebody dropped some wisdom last week and they told me about you. And they told me I don't have to hang on to this anymore. Jesus, they told me I could let it go. So I wanna let it go right now. Jesus, I've made mistakes. I've sinned. I've lived apart from you. Jesus, I wanna live with you. I know you died for me on that cross. I trust in that. I know you died so I wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from you. You covered my sin. Jesus, I know you conquered death and you rose from the grave three days later. I believe this. Jesus, wash me. Cleanse me. Help me to walk with you for the rest of my life. Jesus, it's in your name I humbly pray. Everybody said, amen. This is kind of a party weekend anyway with Independence Day. Why don't we kick it off right now? If you trusted Christ, we're celebrating. We're ready to go. We wanna put a free gift in your hand if you just trusted in Christ. So what we want you to do Please send us a text message. Text the word SAVED to number 65248. And what you can do at all of our physical campuses, go to the info desk, let them know that you sent this text in so they can celebrate with you and put one of these in your hand. If you're online, let us know and we will send it to you in the mail wherever you're at. Inside this box is a New Believers New Testament Bible so you can dive into Exodus and get some more of this wisdom just like Jethro dropped on us today. You can start your journey with Christ. Next steps are inside here, how you can get connected at the church. And there's a coffee cup because as Pastor Danny says, there's no better way to get to know God than by reading some coffee along the way. So that's very important for us. Hey, can we give God glory one more time for what he's doing in this church? Man, God's moving. It's amazing. I would love to pray for all of us and then I'm gonna kick it to the local teams and all of our campuses for dismissal. Will you join me in prayer? God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for showing us the truth in scripture. Thank you so much for these amazing words that you've given us. Help us to learn and help us to apply them. Help us to step into someone's life just like Jethro with love and humility and help us to show them wisdom, show them care, and help us to point them to you. God, I know these people can do it. I know that we can change our community if we just follow you. God, we love you so much. It's in your name we humbly pray. Amen. If you're on multi-site campuses or online, God bless you. See you next week. We'll bring a friend. I'm going to kick it to local teams.